Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. This is where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. Put your hard hat on, get ready for a ride. Here we go. In this episode, I'm talking with Aaron Walker. Now, I met this man uh, in Florida when I, it was actually the same weekend that I actually had the idea from analyzing. It was only a couple of months back. Aaron struck me then and still does as the greatest of men. He has uh, built a fortune multiple times, everything that life can offer in the positive way, and he's been through some very rough stuff, stuff that took somebody else to bring him back into humanity. And I'm not going to steal his thunder. I'm going to let you listen to his story. Here we go. So here's a guy who uh, has written this book, View from the Top. And um, like I say, I underlined a lot of, I actually created a whole new system for, for how to manage this book reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, top corner folded down means this is where I landed. Bottom corner, corner folded up means this is where I, I underlined something that I need to be able to quickly get back to. And there's a lot of those going on. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I feel like maybe I should just open things up randomly. Here's one. Um, here it is, page 51. If you could always see the end result, faith would be unnecessary. And then down below, you uh, quoted Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Mm-hmm. Aaron, here's, the, here's what that means to me. And then we'll get into uh, into analyzing in you. Um, I know a number of people who think they are smart, and they are smart. And because they are smart, and because they know that they have a well-functioning brain, they think they can analyze, or in this case, maybe manalyze, mm-hmm. uh, the truth for them. And I believe that if a person relies on himself, or as uh, stated here in um, Proverbs, if he relies on his own understanding, Mm. he will likely fail. Mm. And there is a higher power that you and I both follow, Jesus Christ, Mm. who can help us get it right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that that was the random text that I that I took from your book and that one as much as any of the others I was like that's meaningful uh-huh. that's meaningful to me well let's get into it a little deeper can we dive deeper let's dive deeper well let me tell you I had uh, coffee with a buddy of mine uh, I've never known in person until last Tuesday we met and we've talked online a number of times and it's not a coincidence. He had a similar question uh, that you just posed about leaning on your own understanding. And he said, big A, everybody calls me big A. He said, big A. Big A. That's uh, what you are now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Big A. Uh, he said, uh, how do you weave your faith into your profession? And the truth is I don't weave my faith into uh, my profession. Uh, right. The truth is, is 
my very being is my faith, right? It's trusting in Jesus Christ. It's trusting that he knows far greater than I. And I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this question, but the truth is, is that he knows all and he wants me to be obedient to his leadership. And I don't hardly ever understand the pathway. And, and we don't if get I, to. Yeah. If I did understand the pathway, I really wouldn't meet God. I would be God if I understood the pathway. And so I work like it depends on me and I trust like it depends on him. Uh-huh. Uh, he's always connecting the dots. I don't see it until later. I can look back and connect them. I just can't look forward and yeah, connect can't them. Look, wouldn't that be easier if we could look forward and connect I them? Know. And see, I only want things in my life that can be explained in terms of God to begin with. And so if I could explain it, I wouldn't need him. And based on what you uh, wrote in your book, I, uh, I, what I expected you to say is that you don't weave your profession into your God. I think, uh, or you don't weave God into your profession. You weave your profession into your spiritual life. Yeah. Well, see, the whole thing is they're inseparable. It's not two different things. Uh huh. It's me as an individual, and I'm a Christ follower. So therefore, everything that I do, everything that I think about, everything that I try to accomplish is a result of my relationship with Christ. So it's not weaving him in and out. It's I want him to be lead and head and master and Lord of all. And it's not a matter of connecting the two. It's a matter of who I serve. And that's I serve Christ. And so therefore, I am him. Right. It's not weaving him in. It's he is the head of my life. Let's talk about then going a little deeper. Let's talk about, because this is all about being vulnerable. Let's talk about a moment in your life when you did not put him first, when there was no weaving, mm, um, sure. when there was somebody else first. Yeah. Maybe maybe it was you that was first and, the, and Christ was mm. not uh, that factor that he is now. Yeah. When was or, that moment in your life? That would be pretty easy for me to say. It was probably the first uh, three and a half decades of my life. Uh-huh. Uh, I was first and I was a professing believer, but there's a difference in being a professing believer and having a relationship with Christ. Right. I, I had the fire insurance, right? I was a believer. I was going to go to heaven when I died, but I wasn't walking in tandem each and every day. In August 1st, 2001, I was headed to the office, had a horrific automobile accident where a pedestrian lost his life. And at that moment, I realized the, uh, uh, how fragile life was and how that could have easily happened to me that day, rather than the person named Enrique that was crossing the street in front of me. It didn't look my way. Let's, uh, yeah, why don't you tell that story uh, a little more detail, yeah, Enrique? Sure. I, uh, sure. I remember reading a little bit about that in, in your book, but uh, refresh my memory and tell yeah, the story I for was, everybody uh, else. I was on top of the world, Garth, at that time. Things were really good. I had a very successful business. I had started my first business when I was 18, mm -hmm. sold it when I was 27 to a Fortune 500, went back and bought the retail establishment I started with when I was 13 years old. We grew it about four times the size it was when I bought it. And uh, so by this time, I'm 40 years old. I have two little girls, beautiful home, place on the beach. Life is good. Like 
I'm working three days a week. My partner's working the other three days. And I'm like, pinch me. Like my life is so good right now. And, uh, every Wednesday morning we go to our church and we pray with our pastor for our family and for our church. Um, I was just leaving there. It was about seven 30 in the morning. I was driving a brand new 2001 Lincoln Navigator, big candy apple red Lincoln Navigator. I've been wanting for a while, so I bought it. That'd be a hard car to miss seeing. I know. I know. Well, so I'm going down Gallatin Pike to four lane highway with a median turning lane in the center. And um, I'm headed south and a gentleman crosses two lanes that are headed north and he gets to the median and he stops and his shoulders slump and he's posturing to wait and i'm like okay so i speed back up and i'm probably going 45 to 50 i guess it's 55 mile an hour speed zone through there and uh, as soon as i get to him there's a bus parked on the right outside lane that's on my side of the street and i noticed that he's trying to catch the bus you know the way he's postured the way the bus has stopped I know he's going to catch the bus. So I speed back up. All this happens in like three seconds, you know? Right. And so as soon as I get to him, he takes off running as hard as he can to catch the bus. And, um, he hit the left front quarter panel of that uh, navigator and it spun him around his head, hit the driver's side mirror, spun him around again. He hit the left rear quarter panel and fell face down in the street. So this is me doing 45, 50 miles an hour. So I pulled over to the side of the road and, uh, it's like a slow motion movie. It's literally like I'm watching this happens like an out of body experience. I've never been involved in an accident like that. And I'm thinking what just happened? Like literally what just happened? And I turned around and looked, I didn't want to, but I knew I had to cars were stopping everywhere. People jumping out of the car. And I grabbed my phone and I tried to call 911 and I couldn't dial the number. Like my hand was shaking so hard. I couldn't physically, my, it's shaking now, telling the story. I was trying to hit the number and finally I put my palms together so my hand would brace and I dialed 911 and got out of the car, ran over. People were all around this gentleman and he was motionless. And I heard these ambulances, police cars fire department, all these ambulances started coming. And I'm like, this is so surreal. Like, this is really like happening, like to me, like right now. So the police get there and they ask who was driving the car. And I obviously told him I was, and he said, we're going to escort you back. You need to get in the patrol car. And they put me in the back seat of the patrol car. And, uh, I guess it was 45 minutes later. I don't know exactly. Uh, he had gone around and talked to all these people that had witnessed the accident and they put him, uh, the gentleman on the gurney and put him in the ambulance and took him away. And he came back and got in the car. The policeman did. And he said, I need to see your driver's license and your insurance. And by this time I was sick at my stomach. I was nauseated. And I said, is that gentleman going to be okay? He said, he's got severe head trauma and he's still alive, uh, but uh, he's unresponsive. And I said, where are they taking him? They said, Vanderbilt trauma, downtown Nashville. And so he said, I've talked to everybody. Everybody said you weren't speeding. I didn't appear to you or doing anything that you shouldn't have been. And I said, I wasn't. 
He said, are you drinking alcohol? I don't drink. And I said, no, I wasn't drinking. He said, uh, were you speeding? I said, not to my knowledge. I, I don't believe I was. And he said, well, everybody said that you were doing the right thing. And all of a sudden this guy took off running. And I said, that's exactly what happened. So obviously you got my name and number. And by this time, photographers had sh showed up and they were setting cones up and they were taking pictures and the street was blocked off. And it was like something you see on TV. I mean, it was like a crime scene. And I was like, I don't even know how to respond. So I said, would you please have them to call me and let me know the outcome? Let me know how this gentleman does. They gave me his name and and I said, uh, okay. So I got in the car and I drove to the office and I wasn't really in a condition to work. So I went home. My wife was in Florida with our two daughters on a missions trip and told her what happened. And um, my pastor came to my house. A couple of my buddies came and kind of walked me through this. And it was just gut wrenching. Well, Saturday morning, about nine o'clock, nine thirty, the phone rang and I answered it. And they said, is this Mr. Walker? And I said, yes. And they said, this is uh, the trauma unit at Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville. And I said, yes. And they said, they've asked me to call you. And I said, yes. And I said, how is he? And they said, he didn't make it. And, I'm like, what? and they said, he didn't make it. And uh, I thanked them for calling and uh, hung up the phone. Of course, you know, it was an emotional experience, uh, needless to say. And so... I called our legal counsel and I said, uh, Scott didn't make it. What, what do I do? And he said, well, whatever you do, don't call the family because whatever you say can be used against you and don't, don't contact the family. Well, I thought about it for the remainder of the day and, uh, found out who they were, looked up their number, called them friends of mine, said, how do I get this number? I got the number and I called them. And, uh, they answered the phone and I said, I don't even know what to say. I said, but, uh, my name's Aaron Walker and uh, I've had an automobile accident and the gentleman and his name was Enrique said Enrique was involved in this. And the girl said, yeah, that was my dad. And, uh, I said, I had to call and pay my condolences and uh, my legal counsel said to not call, but I'm sorry. I had to call. She said, Mr. Walker, thank you for calling. Um, obviously my mom is in no condition to speak with you. And I said, no, I totally get it. I just want you to know, I'm sorry. And she said, she said, thank you. And so, uh, that was it. Never heard from him again. Um, I never saw him in person. I normally don't tell this part of the story, but I'm going to tell it, uh, because of the nature of your podcast, it's, you know, we tell things that men don't normally want to talk about. If we fast forward five years, 60 months, my dad had cancer and he was in the hospital, local hospital here, and he was in ICU, intensive care. And uh, we sat with him for several days in ICU and the walls are glass in the ICU department. And so one day I left for lunch and I came back. And when I came back, my mom was acting really weird. And I said, well, what? What did they say? Like, why, why are you acting this way? And she said, oh, it's nothing. And I said, bull. I said, Some, what happened? Like, what have they said? Or, and she said, well, I, I don't really want to tell you. And I said, well, you got to tell me. 
I thought it was related to my dad. And she pointed through the glass wall and she said, uh, you see that young lady? And I said, you talking about dad's nurse? And she said, yeah. And I said, yeah, she's been in here the whole time. She said, well, she was in earlier and she was telling us a story about how she lost her dad five years ago in an automobile accident where he was run over on Galton road. And I said, what is the irony of this? And I said, did you tell her? And she said, no, I didn't have the courage to tell her that it was us. And we didn't because we didn't want her to make her feel weird. But Gara, think about this. I took her dad's life, you know, and she, saved your and she took care of my dad the last two weeks of his life. And oh, uh, yeah. And what are the chances of that? Yeah. I don't know. Um, let's go back to that hard moment. Uh, you'd hit him. You, he was in the hospital. You were wondering if he was going to survive. Then you found out he didn't. What were you doing to yourself at that moment? What were you telling yourself? Yeah, it was, uh, it was terrible just to be honest. And it took a number of years to kind of work through that. I was, uh, second guessing. It was like, uh, well, if I jumped on the interstate when I left the church and drove the interstate rather than Gallatin road, uh, maybe I could have avoided that accident. And a buddy of mine brought to my attention, he goes, yeah. And you may have hit a school bus and killed 50 kids. Yeah. And I'm like, there was shame. There was embarrassment. There was, um, I couldn't forgive myself. Right. Uh, Although I wasn't even doing anything. It wasn't even my fault. I mean, we later found out that he couldn't see. That was the reason he ran out in front of me. uh, He'd been warned. He was 77 years old. uh He'd been warned repeatedly not to travel alone, but he decided he wanted to go to Lowe's and buy something and he didn't want to wait. And he went and he, he just didn't see me. He, he just didn't see me. And, uh, it was early in the morning. The sun was coming up and, uh, yeah. So you, you said that, um, you know, you were blaming yourself. Uh, who'd you talk to about that? Yeah. Well, I talked to my pastor and I had a lot of good friends. Uh, Uh, quite honestly, I've always built strong relationships and I was grateful that I had those. What really, Save me to be honest with you is shortly thereafter, which is a whole nother story within itself. Uh, I sponsored a radio show that was starting here in Nashville and, uh, the guy that was uh, starting the radio show, uh, invited me to join his mastermind group. Was that Dave? This Dave Ramsey. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he invited me to join his mastermind group and those guys really nurtured me, helped me, walked me through these trying days. And so, which kind of leads to another story because I had a hard time getting over it. Matter of fact, I went to my company and told my partner that I was retiring. I said, uh, I'm through, I've been chasing money since I was eight years old and I'm going to retire. And so I actually did. I was 40, uh, for the second time I retired. And, um, uh, every week I would go to that mastermind group. There were 10 guys in the mastermind group, Dan Miller, Ken Abraham, Dave Ramsey, Jeff Mosley. Some of those names may or may not ring a bell with any of you, but they all live here in Nashville where I live, Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, James Ryle was one of the members in the group. 
He was a promise keepers speaker, traveled all over the world speaking, best storyteller I've ever heard. And uh, I couldn't get over this thing. I just stayed with it day in and day out, week after week, month after month. And every week I would go into this mastermind group and I would share that I couldn't get over this thing and I was trying. And so maybe six months in, James Ryle called me on a Saturday morning and I was at Ace Hardware in Hendersonville, Tennessee, just north of Nashville, about 12 miles. And uh, he said, Big A, this is James Ryle. And I said, yeah, James. He said, can you hear me? And I said, uh, yeah, hold on. I'm in Ace Hardware. Let me go out to the parking lot. So I went out in the parking lot. I knew one of two things. It was going to be really bad or really good. And the reason is we never called each other on the weekends. We always protected that time for our families. And we called each other through the week. We saw each other through the week. But this was on a Saturday morning. So I go outside and James goes, Big A, God gave me a word for you this morning. And I was like, this is good. Like, I'm excited. And I said, uh, okay, good. He said, well, first let me say that you are wearing the hell out of everybody in our group. And I started laughing. Well, he didn't. He just sat there. And I said, James, Maybe you need to repeat that because I'm I'm not sure what you said. He goes, okay, let me repeat it. You're wearing the hell out of everybody in our group. And he never laughed. And I said, James, I, I don't know what to say. He said, well, this morning I was reading in the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, where it says, take the chains from around your neck and move on. He said, it's time you were moving on. He said, I'll see you. I got to go and hung up. Well, Garth, I wanted to bite a nail into. I was so mad. I was so angry that he had the audacity to call me, run my Saturday, tell me what a bother I had been to him and the rest of the group. And I sat there trembling in that parking lot. And then it dawned on me. I said, he loves me enough to tell me the truth. The following Wednesday, I go into the group. We were meeting in Dave Ramsey's office. He's got a conference room there. I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4". I weigh 235. James Ryle is about 5'7", weighs about a buck and a half. And I walk around the counter, and he looks at me, and he said, I knew you were going to smack me. I knew you were. And I leaned down, and I hugged him, tears running down my eyes. And I said, thank you for loving me enough to tell me the truth. Isn't See, that that's funny? The, that's, the very, that, oh. that's the very reason I was going to say that we need these trusted advisors in our life that love us enough to tell us the truth. Yes, it is. And uh, at the same time, we've got to be open enough to hear it when it comes, because it's not easy to tell somebody the straight stuff. Mm-hmm. And what uh, powerful words delivered powerfully, and he loved you enough to to deliver them. Yeah, because See, the difference is he had invested the time; he earned the right to say those difficult things to me. Uh huh. Because he had invested month after month after month, helping me, praying for me, nurturing me along, and then one day he said, "Enough's enough. It's time for you to move on." And you know, I think about that today. I took five years off. I didn't work for five years. I took five years off to kind of work through this, get my legs back under me. Mm-hmm. And I wonder where I would be if I didn't have somebody that loved me enough to tell me the truth. 
you know, you might have been to this day still wallowing in that sewage pit. Yeah. Yeah. If you had to have somebody like that, you know, and um, the suicide rate for men, mm. uh, three and a half to four times larger than for women. Mm. And this is partly why I think we're good at wallowing. You mentioned that you had your pastor and you actually had these other guys that were there for you. Right. Um, imagine if you hadn't. Mm, I, can, I can't imagine. I can't imagine going through that. Like I didn't come out of my bedroom for three days. Like I, I didn't want to see anybody. See, isolation is a really terrible thing. Isolation is the enemy of excellence. And if we really want to excel in life, we've got to get out of isolation. Isolation is the enemy of excellence. I feel like I need to put that in underlines and bolds and quotes and maybe some italics. Mm. Isolation is the enemy of excellence. If you hadn't had those people that you have, and, uh, and you and I both know that there's plenty of guys who have plenty of issues, uh, whether, you know, no matter what it is, I interviewed one guy who was a cop and one day he came home uh, told his uh, wife a story about uh, how he had rescued half a dozen toddlers, six-year-olds, um, from sex slavery. And she goes to, she responds back, sorry, that's too much. I can't hear that. I can't help you. Don't tell me about that. Mm. You can't blame her. That's heavy. But he didn't have a pastor. He didn't have uh, mm. other guys in his circle. Mm. So um, his next best friend, he told me, became Jack Daniels. Mm. Jack's not as uh, good a friend as Dave Ramsey. No, no. And um, turns out that uh, that relationship with D Jack Daniels didn't turn out so well. Ended poorly. Yes. Um, all we do is numb our sorrows rather than dealing with it. And men are notorious for putting up a facade on the backside. They want everybody to think we got it together. We don't have any blind spots. There's no kryptonite in our lives. Uh, we're strong men. And the truth is, is real strength begins at the intersection of vulnerability and transparency. And if we want to take our life to the next level, we've got to get trusted advisors around us that we trust that are non-biased, that can help us understand our shortcomings, our blind spots, because that's what always takes us out. And once we do that and we're vulnerable in front of that small group of people, it allows us to build in on a firm foundation. Trusted advisors. And that's something that's probably the most important thing that I gathered from your book. And it's going to change how I do analyzing. Um, we've been talking with a number of guys, you know, how do we find the answer to us guys not allowing men in? Um, my best example of that, I had a guy across the street um, when I lived in another location, Highland. Um, and there came a day when I found out that uh, someone, a family member, had been having multiple abortions, and this just crushed me. I, I had this one person that I could talk to, so I stumbled across the street, fell on his arms. I said, she's killing my grandchildren. Mm. 
and he physically helped me go back across the street. Mm. And um, he gave me a blessing. Mm. And I survived that moment. Mm. So just like you say, this is, this is something, you know, it's, it's other men that can help us. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have your pastor and the guys who were around mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. I'm at minimum, I'm guessing you're not where you are in your life right now. Mm -hmm. Where do you think you would be? Yeah, Garth, here's the truth. There's so many areas of my life that's needed so much work and assistance and support. Uh -huh. uh, I've made some terrible decisions throughout my career. I've had businesses that have failed. Uh, we have had a measure of success. God's really blessed a lot of our efforts. We've owned a number of companies. Um, if I hadn't had non-biased, trusted advisors that could walk alongside me and tell me, hey, this is not going to work, and here's why. Or this would work, but you need this resource. Or I'm going to help you when you're tired, and I'm going to hold your arms up. I'm going to support you for a period of time. And guys walk alongside you and have seen your journey, and they're able to celebrate with you when you have a win. It would be a very lonely place out there, see, because different perspectives is the number one asset of others. If you think about you only have one journey. You only have one set of filters. You can only see it one way, regardless of how you would like to see it multiple ways. You don't have the capacity to do that. So when you trust other people, they have new insight. They have new perspective. They have the ability to help coach you along the way because they've experienced it a different way than you. And then when you subject yourself to that level of scrutiny, when you're able to say, here I am, the good, the bad, the ugly, this is what you get. So point out to me, what are my superpowers so I can continue to strengthen those? What is the kryptonite in my life? What are the blind spots, right? We can't see blind spots, and it's always the thing that gets us. My buddy, Alan Lindsay, he's my best friend for 45 years. About 20 years ago, he heard me at church tell a guy that I had been all over South America fishing. And we went to lunch the next day, Alan and I did. And he said, I heard you tell that guy at church, you've been all over South America fishing. And I said, I have. He said, no, you haven't. You've been down there twice. And the reason you said that to that guy is you wanted him to think you're a big deal. You're a world traveler. And it uh -huh. really pissed me off that you told that guy you've been all over South America fishing. And it really aggravated me <laughs> to the point of, trying to defend it. And he said, you can defend it all you want, but the truth is you've been down there twice. See, we need to tell people accurately. We don't need to embellish the story. We don't need them to lead them to believe something that's not true because you're going to have no credibility in the future when he finds out you've only been down there twice. And it's made an indelible impression on my life now to be accurate in my assessment, to be accurate in my statement. It was a blind spot, right? And I always said, I'm not lying. I'm just making it interesting. And he <laughs> said, we've got to tell the truth. And see, it was a blind spot for me. And so today, when I go to tell a story, I'm a storyteller, and I like to make it interesting. And I'm like, I need to tell the facts. right? I need to tell how it was rather than how I would like for it to be. And so if it hadn't have been for him, other people wouldn't trust me to the level that they do today. See, because... Our integrity and our character is riding on who we are as an individual. 
when, and I'm going to go back again to uh, that moment when you, uh, you know, maybe the months after you found out that Enrique mm -hmm. died, uh, what were your demons telling you? I'm guessing they probably yeah. told you that you're not enough, that you're yeah. a bad person. What, 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 what words <laughs> no. were they using? What I discovered, and we all have those uh, talks going on in our head, right? We, we all do at different times. And so I started thinking through that and I said, uh, I wonder what my legacy would have been had I been killed that day. And that really began to torment me. I was 40 years old. Here's what my legacy would have been, Garth. Okay, stop right there. Because that directs, that goes right into my next question, which I'm going to ask right now. Why was that event, how did that bless your life? Yeah. So it coincides with your previous question. So we'll answer them together. Right. Uh, what was going on in my head was, is that uh, I'd had a great level of success, but no significance. And I started thinking through what that looks like. And nobody cared about my success but my family. You see, significance has to do with other people, extended family members, uh, colleagues, peers, people in my community. And I said, my legacy would have been poor kid makes enough money to retire at age 27. And nobody cares. And nobody cares. I have an ex-brother-in-law who uh, was, he, he had uh, found himself on the wrong end of a divorce and he couldn't talk her back into taking him. So he started reaching out to the second level and I was the second level. He called me trying to get me to intercede for him. His last words were, how could she love him? He doesn't even have a boat. Mm. And I'm like, dude, you got some work to do on yourself. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Doesn't get it. Yeah. And as obvious yeah. as that sounds, you know, we, we all like to think that because maybe we got a boat or we got the big truck yeah. or, yeah. you know, See, I got tangled up in that a little bit, Garth. We had, uh, all the possessions, right. We had the cars and the big house and the gate and the place on the beach and all that stuff. And I came home, uh, one day with a pocket full of money to a house full of strangers. Right. And I was offering up my family on the sacrifice of more. And my wife came up to me one day and looked at me and she said, I don't want to be a single mom. And uh, I appreciate all you've provided for us because we were both broker than a convict when we got married, right? We didn't have anything. And she said, you've done well. We've uh, really been blessed as a family, but I don't need you working around the clock. I need you here with Holly and Brooke and helping with cheerleading practice and Girl Scouts and helping with homework and putting them to bed. And like, I need you here. And I thought, man, my legacy still would have been, it was all about the success. It was not about the significance. The question uh, associated with that is how much would you sell your relationship with your kids for? Yeah. See, here's because, the thing. You don't get a do over with them. Right. You get one shot. And Fortunately, my wife woke me up to that. And today we have a great relationship with our children because I invested the time. Thankfully, they weren't too old that I couldn't rebuild. See, you can make more money. You can start more businesses, but you get one go through with those kids. You don't get a do over. It's like, hey, one day they would have been gone. 
and I would have had time and money and they would have been no, thank you, dad. I've got other relationships. So fortunately we said, Hey, we're going to build some boundaries and we're going to put some stop gaps in place and I'm going to be at home and whatever I can get done in this length of time, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to focus on my family. And we established our core values after that. My number one core value now is relationships matter most. Yes, they do. I think you mentioned something like that in your book, too. You said another toy doesn't replace having dad time. Mm -hmm. And I want to speak to the dads listening to this podcast interview right now for a second. When you come home in the afternoons and your little boy wants to pitch baseball, I want to encourage you to go pitch baseball. You can get to that email or that work a little bit later. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't get to make up that time. And eventually somebody is going to show that little boy time or that little girl time. And it's not going to be you. And uh, it's going to be hard to rebuild and rekindle that relationship. So really think through if relationships matter most for you. I hear dads tell me each and every day, I want to make more money so I can spend more time with the family. And what happens invariably, they make more money than they move the bar. And then they make more money and they move the bar. And the very reason they said they were trying to make the money was to spend more time with their family. And I want to encourage you, what you say is pointless. Your actions are speaking loudly to me. And so if you want to spend time with your family, uh, show that by actively pursuing it and not talking about it. And I think in many cases, you know, we uh, shoot. Have you ever watched Breaking Bad? No. Oh, it's a very twisted show and you probably shouldn't watch it. It's about a guy who, uh, a high school chemistry teacher who becomes a uh, meth uh, producer. And in every case, you know, it's all the bad guys. They all say, well, I'm doing this for my family. Uh, no, they're not. They're doing it for, them, for themselves. They're, they're doing it because they want to have a little more money. They want that boat. And you can blame it on the family. That would be another disservice. Ron so, Holiday wrote a great book called Ego is the Enemy. Uh-huh. And if you want to read a great book that really points you in the direction of the reason that we do a lot, read Ryan Holiday's book, Ego is the Enemy. Okay. I'll do that. Is that on Audible as well? I'm sure it is. Okay. So how old are you right now, Aaron? I'll be 62 in March. You're the magic six. Well, you'll be 62 in March. I'll be, uh, we'll, we'll be tied for a month. Oh, there you go. I'm 62. Who's oldest? Uh, I'll, oh, I am. Okay. okay. I've got I've got a thousand uh, miles more than you do. You've, oh, okay. There you go. You, yeah. No, I'm 11 months older than you. Um, we we got 124 years of experience between us. You realize that, don't you? <laughs> that should mean something, shouldn't it? It should. Now. Uh, yeah, the, the ego, uh, and you mentioned being a servant leader and you mentioned what that means. Uh, I really think that, uh, that as long as a person thinks that it's about themselves, um, they will fail. Mm, always. So, um, the 61 year old you now has a chance to go back and meet with the younger version of you that just hit Enrique. What are you going to tell them? Yeah, I would say 
try to live a successful but significant life, do it simultaneously. My sole focus was on success. Uh, started our first business when I didn't have anything. Literally, I was broke. I didn't have anything. We started our first business. And my sole focus was to make a lot of money. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with making money. I, I want to make money. I love to make money. I want you to make money. I want to, it's a tool, right? right? Don't let it be your God. Don't let it be the only reason. And I had a big ego. I had a lot of pride. Uh, I wanted to prove to myself and others that I could do it. I have a high school education. Uh, I wanted to prove that I could be uber successful without a college degree. And I accomplished those things financially almost at the expense of my family, the things that matter the most, the relationships. Robin and I started dating when she was 16. I was 17. We got Uh married two weeks out of high school. Uh And I wanted to prove to her, I wanted to prove to my dad, I wanted to prove to myself uh, that I could be successful. And every milestone I hit, I would double it. I would do it again. And one day I looked up and said, the bar continues to move. It always continues to move. And so I went on a quest uh, on this last go around. Uh, I said, God, if you'll give me an opportunity, I'll be the giver and not the taker. The irony of that is that we're far more successful financially today than we've ever been, but we're a lot more significant in the lives of others because we've started this Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind where we're helping Ordinary men become extraordinary in every area of their life, and we're helping them set the boundaries and the goals to accomplish a great amount of success, but not forget the significance piece. So I would tell that guy to really focus not just on success, but significance. Significance. And significance for you means service. Yeah, it's always uh, about the other person when it's significant. Right. I Contributing from my side... I had a probably a 10 year period where I was like, greatness, what is greatness? What is greatness for me? What does it mean? How does you how do you achieve greatness? How do you know when you're there? And it tortured me for 10 years trying to figure out, you know, for example, greatness isn't necessarily being the world's best drummer, you can still be a great drummer and be a jerk. You can, uh, you can be the President of the United States and still not achieve greatness because you're still an empty jerk. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you can go into any profession and say, well, that's not greatness. And maybe the guy makes a lot of money. Uh, but, but what is greatness really? And so I eventually landed on what you said is that greatness is about uh, giving service. And in my case, I want to give as much service as I can to as many people and hopefully save some lives hopefully improve some relationships. Mm. Uh, Garth, isn't it unfortunate that it takes a major catastrophe historically to turn the ship around? Mike McCallowitz called me recently. He's writing a new book and he wanted to interview me for this book that he's writing. And it was about people that have been through travesty and how it impacted our lives. I want to, Give a little shout out to the listeners today and say, don't allow a travesty in your life to keep you from making a concerted effort at doing the right thing. Don't don't 
require that in order for you to lose the weight or get your finances in order or to make relationships matter most or to prioritize your priorities. Make a concerted effort today so that you don't have to learn that lesson so that you can learn from Garth and myself uh, how to avoid some of the landmines so that you don't have to go through some of the difficulties that we've gone through today. Don't think I'm above that. There's no way that I'm going to ever experience that. Those are the famous last words, you know. Uh, don't allow yourself to go through that. Make intelligent, good decisions uh, to do the right thing without having to experience it firsthand. And I think the way to do that is to do what you are doing, and I believe that's iron sharpens iron. It's it's men getting together and sharpening each other. Um, I went through a bad marriage, and that bad marriage was because of me. I there were things that I, there were tools and talents that I should have had, easy words that I could have said that would have probably improved things. I didn't say them. Mm. So that, that falls on me. And uh, there was many years of a great deal of pain that could have been avoided if somebody would have just said to me, hey, do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And uh, is, is that what iron sharpens iron? It is. Yeah, it is. It's where... 10 men gather together virtually every single week at the same time, and they live their life proactively instead of reactively, where you really prescribe aspirational goals in your life and the five key areas of your life to accomplish the things that you've really anticipated and set your mind on doing. The women actually have become our biggest advocate. They said, I don't know what you're doing to my man, but he's a different husband. He's a different dad. He's different in the workspace is because we're helping him prioritize those priorities, helping him get things in the correct order. And we need help in order to do that because left to our own devices, we're going to majorly make a misstep. And so even today, after 20 plus years, every week in a mastermind, I'll never be without those trusted advisors in my life. And I can attribute much of my success personally and professionally as a result of entrusting myself with these trusted advisors. So if you're listening to my voice out there today and you don't have trusted advisors, who's helping you make your decision? And I just want to encourage you today to get people around you that can help you do that. And how does somebody look into ISI? Yeah, thank you. I didn't know I was going to get that opportunity, but I'll take advantage of it. Um, our website is viewfromthetop.com. Just like it sounds, viewfromthetop.com. Uh, there's an application there that you can fill out. Uh, no high pressure. There's no commitment from filling out the application, but it gives us an opportunity to sit down for an hour and just talk with you, see what your aspirational goals are, see how you would fit, see if it's something that would interest you to take your life to the next level. So yeah, go to viewfromthetop.com, fill out the application, and I'll be happy to have a discussion with you. You know, I think it's very clear uh, because all of us have issues, men or women or whoever. Um, and what I tell people is that when a woman's got an issue, she's got 30 girlfriends to go talk to. Right. When a man's got a problem, he's got nobody. And that's our own and, fault. Yeah, he hides and doesn't tell anybody and then he picks up the pieces later. Yeah, and then and then sometimes it's Jack Daniels, and sometimes we just yeah. feel isolated, and uh, sometimes that turns into yeah. suicide. Sometimes it turns into what's called tox toxic masculinity, 
it all comes out badly. Mm. Yeah, and, and don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Just give us a call. Uh, don't walk this journey alone. You can go faster going alone, but you can't go as far. Uh, when you have that camaraderie, you have those brothers around you that can help you. It's a game changer in every aspect of your in life. In every aspect. Uh, you know, it may, may or may not save a person's life, but it will definitely improve where you're at uh, physically and emotionally. No question. And from a relationship standpoint. Mm, yeah, 100%. Aaron, you're the man. Thank you for writing the book. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Yeah. Thank you, Garth. I enjoyed our time together. Likewise. Hey, thank you for listening to this Manalizing podcast. I appreciate it. You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalizing, manalizing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalizing.com.